The Sound of Young America is supported in part by Smith Micro Software, makers of Stuff It Deluxe, designed to move files simply and securely wherever customers want them to go, for Mac and PC, online at stuffit.com. And Ask Metafilter, thousands of life's little questions answered, online at ask.metafilter.com. Hey, this is Kate from Minneapolis. I'm Adam from Montreal. I'm Tucker Campbell from Anchorage, Alaska. The Sound of Young America is produced independently and supported by listeners like you and me. You should support the show like I did. Just visit MaximumFun.org slash donate. I'm Jesse Thorne. Live on tape from my house in Los Angeles, it's The Sound of Young America from MaximumFun.org and PRI, Public Radio International. It's The Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is the genre-crossing Los Angeles musician Flying Lotus. I guess you would call Flying Lotus's music hip-hop, except that most hip-hop is dance music and Flying Lotus's music isn't. And of course, most hip-hop has rapping and Flying Lotus's music doesn't. It doesn't seem right to call it electronic music, although it's composed in the way that electronic music is. It's soulful, but it's at least as much Sun Ra as it is James Brown. Here's a cut from his new album called Pattern Grid World. Flying Lotus, welcome to The Sound of Young America. Hey. It's great to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. So you grew up here in Southern California, yeah, right? Yeah, I grew up in the Valley. Most most of my time spent out there. When you started making beats, when you were, a, a, what, a young teenager, like 14 yeah. or 15, um, who did you imagine yourself being? Did you imagine yourself being Aphex Twin, or did you imagine yourself being Battle Cat or something? I, I imagined myself being Dr. Dre. You know, he was my hero when I was a kid, and, uh, you know... He was this incredible producer who got to chill in the background and and make music for all these people who wanted to be out there, you know. And I I was I was a background guy, you know. I still feel like I am. I don't really want to be in the mix like that, you know. So I, that that just really appealed to me that you can you can like make this hip hop music, but you don't have to be on stage and stuff. But I ended up on the stage. <laughs> and from what I hear, you're somewhat energetic on stage as well. I, I have fun. I have fun. It's <laughs> it's um, it's a great opportunity to play your music for people like in that kind of space. You know, it's like all the things I w- try to work out in the studio, I get to play it for people, and they, sometimes they enjoy it. <laughs> so if Dr. Dre makes a very different kind of music from wh- wh- what you make. Yeah. Um, when you imagined yourself as Dr. Dre, were, 
were you imagining yourself like you know sampling funkadelic and just dropping heavy beats and having somebody rhyme about absolutely different people that they've had sex with and or shot absolutely absolutely that was that was where i was at when i was younger you know i was i just that's all there was you know that i didn't really think of it as like oh maybe i can make instrumental hip-hop and and you know try and flip the the game into some electronic thing i never thought about it like that it just kind of happened you know but originally when i was young it was that was all there was it was it was you know this whole west coast sound that was invading everybody's uh ears and i was just i was really into it and it was really inspiring it was it was melodic hip-hop you know it was the first time i had heard you know string sections and and beats hip-hop beats before and it was the first time that I can hear people playing in melodies instead of just sampling like one bar or something, you know. So it was it was a great thing for me. It was just I fell in love with the hip hop around then. I think. What was the first piece of equipment that you made a beat on? Um, some Roland keyboard. I don't know. It was my cousin's keyboard, but I, eventually I got this uh, another Roland machine called the MC five hundred five Groovebox. Had all these sounds that you can. You know, these preset sounds that you could flip and turn into loops and stuff. And I made like 200 beats on that thing. And <laughs> it was just, to me, it was just like a better version of Game Boy, you know? So I, I was into it. It was sort of Super Mario paint, I would yeah, guess. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. What kind of music were you making on this thing? What kind of sounds did it make? Uh, you know, it was just, it had, that's pretty good sounds in it, actually. You could, you could change them a little bit. They didn't, it didn't have to be exactly like the factory presets, but. Um, I was just making hip hop stuff, like really short loop stuff, like four bar loops and dropping parts out, thinking about in terms of like rap beats and that sort of thing. Were you making beats for people? Did you have friends who were emceeing or was it something that you were doing at home by yourself? Well, you know, mostly by myself. And then, you know, I'd, I'd go to guitar center and be messing around with stuff. And they, these rappers would see this young kid making beats and like, what, what's up with this kid? You know, and all the rappers that hang out at the guitar center. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And like some people I'd meet through friends of friends. Oh, you got to hear this dude. He's sick. And then, um, you know, we get together and I make a beat, but there was there was never really really any chemistry in, in that. It was just it was just fun. It was just that's all it was for me. I didn't really think about it like trying to make a lifestyle or career out of it. It was just it was something to do. You, you studied uh, film and art in college. Yeah. Did you had you abandoned the idea of, or had you not come upon the idea of making your life in music? Yeah, I didn't really think it was that was my calling for a while because, you know, again at the time where I when where I grew up, it just I didn't really think that there was a place for me. You know, I just the way the the state of hip hop was just like it was all hyphy and just dirty South stuff that I wasn't really interested in. But I kind of got into like Aphex Twin, Square Pusher, and Autecker, that kind of thing, and. um and it was really inspiring again, and I just started getting back in the machines and and going for it. These these are um, these are largely European um, electronic music acts. Yeah. What was it about that music that that inspired you? It was a little deeper and darker than uh, than the stuff that I was hearing on the radio, and it felt like they were trying to say something. And a lot of the stuff was instrumental too, so it was 
it was uh, very powerful in that way where I was just like imagining different universes and stuff through their music. I knew that you uh, that a lot of your music had been used in um, uh, on Adult Swim, the yeah. Cartoon Network. That, you know, we've we've had many cartoon creators from Adult Swim on this show. Oh yeah, and um, and what I didn't know was that that was the that was essentially your first commercial success hmm. as a musician. Yeah, tell me about how you got your music onto this you know late night block of weird comedy shows for stoners oh man uh, well you know i was i was living in my mom's house at the time <laughs> and uh you know i they they run all these bumpers and stuff and they, a lot of stuff sounded really familiar you know it was like a lot of stuff that you know i, I worked at stone's throw at the time and i i'd heard this is a, a hip-hop record label mostly yeah. hip-hop record label here in los angeles yeah i worked for stone's throw and they uh you know they they'd have a lot of their music featured on these little adverts and uh, i was oh man that sounds like something I'm, I'm into and one time they ran an ad that they were saying oh you think you got some tracks where are they at and here send them over here and let's let's do something and uh i didn't really i didn't really think they were gonna care about my stuff but my mom was there too and she was like you better send them some tunes and uh yeah i sent them some stuff and they hit me up for a track list and I've been doing it ever since because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a fan and it's just a lot of fun still. It's The Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is the genre-crossing Los Angeles musician Flying Lotus. talk a little bit about your process and how you construct music because your your music has such a distinctive sound i think it's difficult for people to you know it's difficult for people to imagine how it's made it sort sure. of seems like it was just birthed whole out of some kind of crazy music space whale or something <laughs> um what do you start with i don't know it depends because uh, lately lately it's been starting with piano we've been playing piano a lot and just going from there and then figuring out things along the way. But, you know, sometimes it starts with a sample, sometimes it starts with the drums, and then, you know, time will go, and then I find more elements to put into it. And it's never really done until it's released. That's how I feel. Because it goes through several stages, you know. The, the bulk of it usually happens within 20 minutes, <laughs> you know, and then all the other stuff is the icing and the sprinkles, you know. But, uh yeah, it, it's different every time. I, I try not to get into a set way of working because it. I think you can hear it. I can hear it after a while. I'm like, oh, that's when I just when I got that micro Korg, Okay, that's awesome. Right now, I'm I'm trying to get into again. I'm kind of playing around with the piano stuff more, like acoustic piano. And 
let's talk about it. Let's talk about a specific song, say from Cosmogramma. Do you do you want to just just pick one? What do you have a particular favorite or one you'd like to share with uh, people? Yeah, sure. Let's play "Dance of the Pseudonymph." Okay, let's hear a little bit of "Dance of the Pseudonymph" from my guest, Flying Lotus's last LP, Cosmogramma. <laughs> Dance of the Pseudonymph by my guest, Flying Lotus. So we heard a lot of sounds on that record. Where do they yeah. where do they come from? Oh boy. They come from all sorts of sources. I try to record natural sounds as much as I can. I try to record samples from records as much as I can. When you say natural sounds, are you talking about instruments or are you going out with a microphone and putting yeah, it up to a yeah. blue jack? Yeah, I'll I'll definitely, I have a, a hand recorder. I try to record a bunch of stuff. And again, I, I like to mix as much natural stuff in with the synthetic as I can. And just, for me, it gives a lot of texture that, you you know, it, there's, there, with enough texture, you don't have to have a lot of, like, fake sounds because the, the natural textures are, are just so rich and, and they fill up so much space. It, I don't need drums, man. I, I I've been really enjoying making ambient music lately because just that texture tells so much. The texture will will say so much. It speaks to you without any kind of rhythmic stuff. The sound of Young America is supported in part by VG Kids, printers of T-shirts and other merchandise for touring bands, radio stations, websites, festivals, Derby Girls, record labels, national brands, and all the rabble rousers, hackers, and entrepreneurs in between. Online at vgkids.com. The Sound of Young America is returning to WNYC and the Jerome L. Green Performance Space on October 22, 2010. Join us for a night of comedy, music, and interviews at the beautiful new performance studio at WNYC. Find out more information about the lineup and ticket information as it becomes available online at MaximumFun.org. The Sound of Young America is proud to be a returning sponsor of the Seattle Sketch Fest in 2010. It's Seattle's premier comedy festival. 
It's happening October 7th, 8th, and 9th at the Theater Off Jackson in Seattle's International District. You know, when Sketchfest Seattle got started in 1999, it was the first sketch comedy festival in the country, and it's been operating continuously ever since. I've performed sketch comedy there and recorded The Sound of Young America there, and my experiences were absolutely wonderful. You'll see some of the best sketch comedy groups in the country all converging on Seattle for a festival that really is a blast. If you're a comedy fan in Seattle and you want to check it out, visit them online at sketchfest.org. That's Sketchfest Seattle 2010, October 7th, 8th, and 9th at the Theater Off Jackson in Seattle's International District. Online at sketchfest.org. Laugh Night is back. If you're in Southern California, join us for The Sound of Young America presents Laugh Night at ArtShare Los Angeles. Our second Laugh Night features stand-up comedy from a variety of comics recording their sets for The Sound of Young America. And the lineup includes comedy greats like Dana Gould and Maria Bamford, among others. Our second Laugh Night is Thursday, September 30th at ArtShare in downtown Los Angeles. You can find out more information and buy tickets online at MaximumFun.org. It's The Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is the genre-crossing Los Angeles musician Flying Lotus. I want to play a remix that you did of uh, this Lil Wayne song called uh-huh. A Millie. Um, and this was, this, uh, this was a song that I guess at this point is what, th- maybe three years old, two or three years ago? This yeah, wow. Um, and it was a song that had a really uh, powerful and very minimal beat. And um, for that reason, I think, and the fact that Lil Wayne was was and probably still may be the hottest rapper in the world and a great rapper as well, was a huge fodder for remixers. Yeah. That was a remix of Lil Wayne's hit record, A Millie, produced by my guest, Flying Lotus. Tell me how you approached remixing this hip-hop record that just has such a, in its original form, has such a hard and specifically hip-hop aesthetic. Yeah, um, I'm not going to lie, the first few times I heard the original song, I didn't like it. And that was why I remixed it, is because I was just... I was kind of frustrated with its minimal thing, but eventually I started. I learned to love it, and I learned to love a lot of that stuff he's doing. And uh, for me, it's just it's just kind of like I like to do it for the people who who are curious. You know, like what if Lil Wayne and Flying Lotus made a track together? What would it sound like? Or what would it sound like if I had the power to, you know, convince this cat to work in the, these terms, just to see if you can flip it into something? that you can enjoy, I guess. I can enjoy. There are all these websites for aspiring hip-hop producers. Mm. And oftentimes they're talking about music. And I, and I notice that 
the extent to which the way they listen to music is influenced by um, the fact that they're thinking about it in terms of what it would sound like if they flipped it somehow, if they picked out some piece and, or some sound or some... And so they'll listen to country music in the hopes that they'll hear the perfect snare drum yeah, yeah, yeah. or something like that. Yeah. How is having your hands so deep in music and sounds and transforming things, how does that change the way that you listen to music? It, it's, it's interesting you asked um, because I, I've been thinking about that recently, man, because I've been really enjoying just listening to records lately instead of trying to listen for samples. And I remember when I when I first started digging for records, I'd, I I wouldn't even really listen. I just like needle drop until I found the thing that was dope. I'm like, oh, okay, that's it. Loop that up. They don't even check out the rest of the tune. Just keep it moving. And I I know a lot of people work that way. And um, but it, it's funny now because I listen to so many records without sampling them. And I I was just thinking about one today that I, I came across, and it has this really cool drum opening, and I wasn't even thinking about because I was just so into the tune. So it's like it's got to be a, a little mix of both, so I can keep working. But uh, you know, it's it's all inspiring, especially now that uh, I've been working with a lot of live musicians and live instrumentation as well. So can you give me an example of a of a song maybe on the most recent record that? that was different than you expected it to be because of a, a, a collaborator? The song Pickled, the the uh, was it the second track on Cosmogramma, yeah, that, that was, uh, I originally started that, you know, and uh, I made most of the track, and I, I was pretty content with where it was at, and then I remember hanging out with Thundercat one time, and uh, we were playing it, and he just started riffing on... on uh, on the bass, on some some parts, and I was like, "Wait a minute, are you serious? Let me just open these parts up, take out my bass line, and then, you know, flip some things that he was doing, and then it it, it totally changed on me, and it was a, a pleasant surprise, you know." So, let's hear that song from my guest, Flying Lotus's third LP, Cosmogramma. <laughs>
Music from my guest, Flying Lotus's third LP, Cosmogramma. So I read that your aunt, in part, inspired the name of this record. Yeah. Um, your aunt is uh, Alice Coltrane, the legendary uh, musician and um, uh, all-around spiritual famous person. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> How did you how did you understand her as part of your life when you were uh, when you were a kid or, or a teenager? Auntie was was like our our pastor, our priest. You know, it was any kind of questions about life, spirituality. You could always ask Auntie, and she would always give you a very simple answer. It was like, oh, okay, right. I don't know why I didn't think of that. It makes so much sense, and. um it was I I knew her as that person more than a musician. You know, she I I'd, I'd hear her play music on, in her ashram on Sundays sometimes and she'd play concerts maybe once a year or something. She'd never practice or anything at home. But, you know, I'd hear these things sometimes and you know, a lot of people would make a fuss about John Coltrane whenever they could when she was around, you know, and um which I totally understandable. She understood and she was very cool about it. So, and also she wasn't really making any records the majority of the time that I knew her. So, um, I just knew her as the spiritual famous person, as you say. And, um, I, I got a lot out of it in that sense. But, you know, I think, uh, I think right around when I went to college and stuff, I really started getting her into her records and, and try to understand, understand the music. And, um, you know that that kind of stuff is like a lifelong journey understanding her music and i feel like after she had passed and after my mom passed away i started to make more sense of it than i ever had you know like just hearing these songs that i heard for years and years like they're brand new you know and trying to understand why why it's hitting me this way why it connects in the way it does and i i felt like with the album i was making i wanted to make sure that people felt that you know, I wanted to go there with the sound and not necessarily something that was just, I guess, about partying and all that. Because I feel like this, that's the stuff that will really stick with people, you know. What was there there that you wanted to go to? Just just go as far deep within as you can, you know. Try and, and give someone a, a, an experience through this music and instead of it just being like about, you know, toe tapping and and dancing around which is again no i'm not knocking that it's, it's a lot of fun but i think that one of my gifts is bringing someone a deeper experience with the music as well and I, that's something i want to just I'd, I'd rather do that you know flying lotus thank you so much for taking this time to be on the sound of young america Absolute it was pleasure. great to have you on the show thank you so much flying lotus is a los angeles based musician his most recent lp is cosmogram That's our time for another Sound of Young America program. I have been your host, Jesse Thorne, America's radio sweetheart. The show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our associate producer is Julia Smith, and our editor is Nick White. You can find us online at MaximumFun.org, where you will find a free archive of all of our past shows, or pretty close to all of them. You can download them, stream them, get them for free in iTunes, whatever. Plus our other shows, like the comedy talk show Jordan Jesse Go, hosted by yours truly, 
or the comedy talk show Stop Podcasting Yourself, hosted by two friendly Canadian gentlemen. It's all free. It's all at MaximumFun.org. If you have thoughts about the show, you can email me directly, personally, at jesse at MaximumFun.org. Or you can comment in our discussion forums at forum.maximumfun.org. I think that's about all that needs to be said. We'll see you next time, right here on The Sound of Young America. The Sound of Young America is supported in part by Ask Metafilter. Thousands of life's little questions answered online at ask.metafilter.com.